We are in an Advent series, a new Advent series. And um, before I talk about our Advent series, I wanted to talk about the show we're putting on, this Christmas play. And uh, it's a hilarious, it's this hilarious story of this church community that religiously puts on a Christmas pageant every year. And they do it so religiously that they are just bored to tears with it. They, it has no meaning for them anymore. It's just this thing that they do. And so, but they do it and they do it and they do it. And this particular year, something uh, unexpected happens. Uh, this wild and unruly family in town comes in and they kind of take over the Christmas pageant. And the story is the unfolding of this wild and unruly family. And um, one of the lines, and I know this because Lauren's in the play and I run lines with her. Um, one of the lines is, um, the girl, the wild and unruly girl says to the mom who's running the Christmas pageant this year, she says, begin at the beginning. And the mother says, what? She says, begin at the beginning. Or um, the, the beginning of the story, what happens first? And the mother says, well... This is the Christmas story from the Bible. You've heard the Christmas story from the Bible, haven't you? And they haven't. And the beauty of this story is that this family is shocked by the shocking parts. And they're angry about the unfair parts. And they're moved in their hearts by the moving parts. And God shows up in the unexpected. This is our Advent theme, God in the unexpected. It's a long, hard look at our expectations. Oh, it's another Christmas, comes around every year, and we have different feelings about Christmas. For some of us, Christmas is a hard season. It's a season that is of loss, or it's a family conflict reminder. Oh, yeah, no, I'm in conflict with them. Of loneliness, or financial strain. Or unmet expectations. And for others, it's a joy-filled season. It's holly and carols and cider and trees and gifts. And maybe happy family memories and fun traditions. But the point is that maybe like the little church in the play, we all need a reminder that the Christmas story is shocking. And it's unfair, parts of it. And it's moving. Something in our hearts. Angelic visits, a virgin girl, an angry fiance, Roman occupation and census, little bread basket Bethlehem, no room for a baby, mangers and stables and shepherd greeters and angel choirs and a murderous local king and some gift-giving foreign ones. This is the story. It's a story of how God showed up in the unexpected to change everything. A beautiful story. So this morning, if you'll turn with me, we're going to read from, uh, we're going to spring from Luke, John. I was going to say Luke. <gasps> no, no. We're going to stay out of Luke right now. We're just going to give Luke a little break. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. This is what John writes. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John, different John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but... To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is God's word. And my big idea this morning is this, that God often shows up in the unexpected, wanting us to recognize and receive him. God often shows up in the unexpected, wanting us to recognize and receive him. Recognize, recognizing Jesus. We went on a date, Lauren and I, one date ever. No, just kidding. Many, a few years ago, we were on a date and we had, I think we had milestones, gifts, cards is why we were at milestones in Coquitlam and we went all that way. And so we were there in the lobby and it was a busy night. And so we were waiting for our table and a woman came in that we knew from MRCC from years and years ago. We hadn't seen her in a long, long, long time. And she came in with a date. She was a single woman and she was on a date. And so we were like, oh, and she came over and she started talking. We stood up and we kind of walked over. Oh, hi, hi. And it was a little bit awkward, a little weird. You know, at first, I'm like, okay. And, and then she was chatting with Lauren. Oh, how is this? How is that? Okay. And, and then she introduced her date and said, oh, this is whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, hey, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And then she, she looked at Lauren. She was like, and then she looked at me. And then she looked at Lauren. She said, and who's this? And Lauren was like, this is my husband, Jonathan. And then she said, oh, Pastor John. <laughs> like, she didn't recognize me thought Lauren was on a date. (laughs) Which happens a lot. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And later we found out from another friend that she talked to, she was like, man, he looks old. I didn't recognize him. Let's see the gray in my beard. Do you see all that gray? Yeah, it's looking good. I'm trying to, I'm trying to working on that. It was weird though to see someone who knows me and not be recognized. It was weird to be known, but not recognized. Jesus, before he was a baby, Jesus was with God, was God in creation. I don't know if this is shocking or unexpected to you. It's a little bit weird to me. I don't think of Jesus being at creation. When I picture creation, I don't picture Jesus there. But this is what John said. Jesus is making things at creation. I said, well, let's look at the creation story in Genesis. This is what it says in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, so God and the spirit are hovering. That's kind of what I picture usually. God is speaking. Let there be light. And then there's a spirit's kind of over there hovering over the waters or something. I don't know what he's doing over there, but hovering. I don't picture Jesus. 
And maybe sometimes we wrestle with Jesus as a person on earth. Maybe Jesus is just this guy. Maybe the virgin birth isn't, you know, totally what it seems to be. Maybe Jesus is like a demigod. We've got that. That's kind of in our lingo now from, what's the movie? Moana, yeah, like there's demigod. He's like, he's kind of, but he's not really, you know, he's guy. He's a guy with God stuff, you know. Or maybe Jesus is just this lunatic with a God complex. He's like walking around, thinks he's, he's God. Like, what's the deal with Jesus? John writes this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is how John opens his account of the life of Jesus. This is how he starts it. John is making some incredible claims about Jesus. Jesus was at the beginning. Jesus was with God. Jesus was God. Not just a God of many. Not just like a God. He is the creator God. He made everything. Nothing was made that he didn't make. Jesus made everything. Paul agrees in Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 and 17. Paul writes, For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. This is Jesus. So what happens when Jesus, God, the creator, comes in flesh to the earth? What happens? John writes this. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. The world didn't know him. I had another situation. I was... When I was at university, we played this game called Assassins. It was like a campus-wide game. It would never happen today, I don't think. <laughs> anyway, it was, seems pretty politically incorrect now. But anyway, it was a game we played on campus. Anyone who wanted to signed up, and then they would give you a name of one of the people who signed up, and your job was to take a squirt gun and to go and squirt them with the squirt gun, and then they were dead. And then they had to give you their paper, and then you'd go chase the next person. And eventually the circle would get smaller and smaller and smaller until just two people had each other's names, and they were chasing each other, and finally there'd be a winner. Now, you weren't allowed to squirt anyone in class or in the cafeteria or in your dorm. Those were like three safe places. But everywhere else, walking to and from classes, so like there are some people who just hold up in their room for months... I wasn't one of those people. I decided I was going to go a different route. So I did like the less weird thing of dyeing my hair, getting new glasses, changing my clothes. I got a skateboard. I wasn't a skateboard guy, but I got a skateboard. I got a different backpack. I changed my walk and I stopped smiling. And then I would walk to class in this different outfit with my hair dyed and my glasses and all these things. And I would just like carrying my skateboard like I was going to use it or something, which I never did because that would be our dead giveaway. (laughs) And the weird thing was I would walk down the path and there'd be all these people coming and I'd see someone I knew really well. And they would look me in the eyes and I would look them in the eye and I would be waiting for them to be like, what are you doing? You psycho. And they look me in the eye and then they keep walking. It was so weird. 
people who knew me didn't recognize me. God, almighty, sovereign and merciful, holy and jealous, pure and righteous, loving and kind, compassionate and gracious, intimate and a consuming fire, was born in the flesh. Colossians 1 says he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. And those who'd waited generation after generation, hope against hope, looked him in the eyes and they didn't recognize him. And they walked right by. There's another story I read in the newspaper and it's such a crazy story. I wished it happened to me. And it's a story from Italy where uh, there was a, a, on a train, there was a bunch of junk, you know, people leave things on trains. And so these train guys went on the train in Italy and the train went from France to Italy and they took stuff off the train. And this one day there were these two paintings, someone left on the train. And so they took the two paintings and they put them in the lost and found with all the other junk and the junk pile grew and grew. And eventually they have an auction to sell all the lost and found stuff that is never claimed. And there was a guy named Niccolo, and Niccolo liked to go to these kind of auctions just as a hobby to see, you know, he'd find little junk things or whatever and buy them. And so he was at this auction, and he looked at it, and he liked these paintings, even though, to be honest, they're a little bit ugly, I think. Anyway, he liked them, and so he was like, oh, I want these paintings. You know, are they, are they worth something? And the guys assured him, no, this is just junk, just junk paintings. And so he bought them each for $35 in this auction. But he liked them, so he hung them in his kitchen. The two paintings in his kitchen on the wall. And he went through his life. He was a tradesman. And so he had a a decent job. But then, you know, he had kids that grew up in that home. And eventually he retired. And he loved those paintings so much. He took them and he put them in his new house, in his retirement house, a smaller place. But he put them up on the wall as well. And one day his son, who was hanging out at the house, was like, I feel like there's something about these paintings. And, I, you know, like, I feel like I kind of recognize them, but I'm not sure. And so his son was like, I'm going to look into this. And so his son went and looked into it, and sure enough, they were not junk. The one painting was by Pierre Bonnard, and it was valued at $850,000. The other painting was a Gauguin. I don't know who Gauguin is, but apparently he's somebody, because his painting is worth $50 million. He's going on a second honeymoon with his wife. (laughs) We live in the kitchen, don't we? Isn't that where most of life happens in the kitchen? That's where we're laughing. It's where we eat. It's where we do dishes. It's where we fight. It's where we talk through things. The kitchen is where life's happening in our house anyway. The good stuff, the bad stuff, the hard stuff, the great stuff. Mostly I'm living out of the kitchen. Where do I picture God? Well, he's hanging in the museum somewhere, probably. Where is God? He, he's, he's in my Bible. He's kind of stuck in my Bible. Or he's at the Sunday gathering. That's where he is. Or maybe he's in some special prayer time somewhere. Or he's with, like, really holy people. He stays with them. Jesus comes into the kitchen. And he hangs himself right on the wall in the most unexpected place. Maybe it's at work or at school or in your basement flood. My, oh, sorry, that was my basement flood. 
in mounting debts or in my hiding activities or in my weakness and failure in my shame. Jesus is there with compassion instead of condemnation. The treasure is there in plain sight. The only question is, will we ask him? I want to see you. I want to see you in all of this. Secondly, we receive Jesus. I started thinking about it, and I was thinking, what if that guy's son didn't recognize the painting ever? What if it just hung in the kitchen, and people who came over said, that's a weird picture, like I probably would have said, that's a kind of a weird picture, and he would be like, yeah, I bought it at the train auction, it's a great story, yeah, 35, right? oh, they both these, you know, it's a great conversation piece. What if it was only ever a conversation piece? What if Niccolo died a pauper? And all this stuff kind of went into his, um, what's it called? Estate. estate. Thank you, lawyer. Into his estate. Because you can have a gogway on the wall and die a pauper. It's possible for you to do that. Israel had waited and waited and waited under Roman occupation for the Messiah, for the hope of salvation. And they'd been disappointed, to be fair, before. They'd had some people who said, I'm the Messiah. And they gathered some people and they went and they revolted. And Rome crushed it. Crushed them brutally. Crushed their hopes. And also, the Jews had been confused. There were people who thought God's kingdom was only going to come when everyone was obedient to God's law. And so they were trying to get everyone to be obedient to God's law. Can you imagine trying to get everyone obedient to God's law? How frustrating that job would be. (laughs) What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? Because every time I do one thing, I can't do that. Okay, now I'm going to do it. And then I can't do that. How do we do this? How do we know when we've done it? And they're waiting and waiting. And they expect a king. They expect a savior, a deliverer, a revolutionary, a warrior is what they're waiting for. Someone to rescue them from Rome. Someone who can save them from their oppression. Someone who can bring them out of captivity and set them free. What are we expecting from a savior? I know if I'm honest... I kind of am expecting that my life's going to get better. Way better. I'm expecting my car's not going to need maintenance anymore. Never going to have a flat tire again. Sorry, Craig. About that. I think my sump pumps will never fail. My children will never fight. (laughs) My wife will always look upon me with happiness and adoring eyes. Bank errors will always happen in my favor, right? This is kind of what I'm expecting, if I'm honest. I I think maybe our messianic expectations aren't that far off from first century Jews. Maybe. Maybe deep down, they're very similar. When things are going well, he likes me. When things are going bad, he's gone. He's missing He's asleep. Where's Jesus? I don't know, but he can't be at the wheel right now because things are going wrong. We want him to do his saving within our expectations and our comfort. 
We want it to look a certain way. And we're expecting it's going to look a certain way. And maybe I too have trouble receiving a savior who meets me in the unexpected. Why did they miss him? Why did so many people miss him? He came to his own, John says, and his own did not receive him. In the midst of all this expectant waiting, Jesus comes unexpectedly, causing premarital crisis, jostled by forced travel, birthed in the barn cave, sleeping in a feeding trough, announced by angel choirs, cheered by sweaty shepherds, running from the murderous king. It's not really how we imagine God would come, is it? How we imagine God would come? And then the word made flesh grew to be a man? Again, not exactly what we expected. The friend of sinners? Word on the street is he's a glutton and a drunkard. Don't tell anyone. He's healing on the Sabbath. He's welcoming women and children of following him, challenging the religious establishment. What? You're supposed to be with us, not against us. Touching the lepers and the unclean. This was a strange savior who challenged their assumptions. Last week, I told you that I had to face some of my own expectations. In the last two weeks, I've had... I've had, to, I've had to face some things that were in my heart that were down there that I could say, no, 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 I don't think that. No, 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 I don't think that. And I would have the right answers. If I'm in the church planting circle, I'd have the right answer. I'd say, yeah, no, I, would, I think this. I'm looking at this, this, this. But the truth is that I have expectations. I had expectations. And I've had to face them. There are some things I thought. I expected God was going to do things a certain way. I expected we'd grow at a certain speed. I expected this would be easier. I expected we'd just pack out with new converts. The harvest is ripe. (sighs) Fill the place up. I expected financial viability. Last year was great. And this year, we're we're doing okay. But we have these things we think. And the truth is that in order to receive the Savior... We're going to need to be honest about all of this stuff we're carrying. This means we should stop pretending to be so spiritual. Stop pretending you're so spiritual. Be honest. This is the stuff we carry. We admit our disappointments, our hopes, and our longings. We admit our struggle and our failure. And we admit our self-dependence. I do it on my own, and then I talk about God. And I do it on my own, and I talk about God. Self-dependence. Jesus is already in the middle of your mess. He's already there waiting. He's in the unexpected places, in the darkest, the messiest, the raunchiest, the vilest, the ugliest, and the weakest places you can imagine. Jesus is there waiting. Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 7 says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable riches, that sounds like a Gogwain, doesn't it? Like that's kind of immeasurable riches to me is like $50 million hanging on the wall. Immeasurable riches is there for you and for me. And do you know what? Where you feel most dead in your life, where you feel most dead, where you say, mm, yeah, that's, don't want to go in there. Jesus wants to bring you to life, make you alive there in that place. And thirdly, the invitation is to believe Jesus. All this talking about recognizing and receiving and believing got me thinking about Moses since we're talking about Christmas. Oh, half of you laughed. Well, Phil laughed. Okay, Phil laughed. Okay, so it wasn't that funny. Phil was just laughing to be nice. I started thinking about Moses, who has nothing to do with the Christmas story, but I was thinking about Moses. This guy who before he stood on the mountain in the glory, radiant glory of God and his face so bright, no one could look at him. And he brought the Ten Commandments down and he was this great, amazing prophet. Before that, he was like a failed out runaway. For years and years and years. And he's out in the desert and like, to me, he's almost in the witness protection program. He's not a witness. He's like the murderer. And he ran away and he's like in hiding. He's on the lamb for like years and years. He's out in the desert. And instead of being a prince, now he's a shepherd. Man, he's got the sheep now. This is all he's got. And he's out there, you know, in the rocky crags. I just, he's like, this is, this is his thing. And suddenly, in the middle of the unexpected place, there's a burning bush. And he goes to the bush and it's not burning. It looks like it's burning, but it's not. And it's the presence of God. And God speaks from the bush and says, take off your shoes where you're standing's holy ground. And he does. And then God says, I'm calling you to go to set my people free. And Moses says, hallelujah. I've been waiting for this moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. No, Moses doesn't respond with elation or joy. He responds with fear. He actually makes excuses and he prevaricates. He's like, oh, no, you don't want me. I'm, I can't talk. I can't do this. I, no, I'm afraid. They won't, they, the people won't listen to me. Oh, he's got all these things. And God, God answers with demonstrations. The staff becomes a snake, becomes a staff. His hand goes into his shirt and comes out with leprosy. (gasps) Goes back into his shirt and is normal again. God answers with solutions. You can't talk? Well, take your brother. Done. Check. And in the end, God gets frustrated and says, Moses, just go. I told you to go. Solved all the issues. Now just go. And Moses does. But he has to go believing God. He's going to do all that he said. He's going to turn the rod into a snake when it's time. He has to believe that this is God sending him. 
you know what, over and over and over in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it seems like God meets people all the time where they least expect it. And Jesus who came in the flesh rarely meets me where I expect him. It's usually in other places. I have met God in mountaintop experiences. I've met him in church conferences. But I've seen him way more in regular life. Even last week, I I told you that story last week about the tree that fell in our yard. Pretty regular thing. Our, Our house is lined, our yard property is lined with trees. We've had trees fall before. We've lost a gutter and part of a roof. We've lost a chain link fence. We've lost a few things. Thankfully, nothing major. And when we heard the tree break early in the morning, we was just waiting to go out there and see what did it fall on or what broke. And when I went outside and I went and stood between the playhouse and the fence, the 10 feet between it, and looked at this tree that is three pieces of tree piled on top of itself... And I looked around and said, where could this tree even fall from in order to fall like this? If it was that tree, the top of that tree that looks broken, it would have fallen right on this treehouse, playhouse, on my fence again. And suddenly all the hair on my neck starts prickling. And I feel the presence of God in a very ordinary place between my treehouse, playhouse, and the fence in my yard with a broken tree. And suddenly I recognize God is here. And I'm attuned to his whispers. Things that he whispers like, I am here. I am waiting. I want you to know me. I have you in my hands. I'm in control. I am good. I love you. I am making all things new. Will you believe him? When he says those things to you in the ordinary places and moments, what does it mean? John says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is what we believe that God dwelt among us, that he was born as a baby And lived as a man, tempted in every way, yet without sin or blemish. And willingly he went to the cross to endure the penalty for our rebellion and our failure. And then to die a horrible, brutal death on the cross to set us free from sin and tyranny. The tyranny of death. And then to rise up victorious from death. Offering us life by his spirit for our day to day. And if you believe this, if you've responded to this invitation, then Hebrews says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. This is an anchor for your soul, a hope. Our hope is in him. We believe in him. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so my steadiness and my hope and my trust is not in the circumstances in front of me or happening to me. My hope is in the God of promise in Jesus who meets me in the unexpected, who redeems what I've broken who is in all of these places. Now, being a child of God has some privileges. 
I like to think of them as 24-7 happiness and kind of smooth sailing until glory. That's kind of what I hope is the privilege. I find that's not true. 24-7 happiness is not what I have. But Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 8. He says, no, in all these things... We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a privilege. Now I look at that passage and I think, I'm a conqueror in what? In all things? In all these things. In all what things? He just said it in the passage before. Do you know what he wrote? In all these things. you know what these things are? Do you want to know? You're all staring at me blankly. Okay, there's some nodding heads. Do you want to know what we are more than conquerors in? This is what he says. In tribulation. In distress. In persecution. In famine. In nakedness. Or danger. Or sword. You are a conqueror in distress. You're a conqueror in tribulation. You're a conqueror in famine or in persecution or when you're in danger. You are a conqueror in him who loved you. And the privilege is that nothing that happens can separate you from God's love. In your most unexpected moments, Jesus is breaking through. He's breaking through. So what will we do? Will we sing like Mary? Will we wrestle like Joseph had to do? Maybe we'll doubt like Zechariah. He's part of the story. Or maybe we shout like shepherds to our neighborhoods. Or maybe we worship like Magi. But the point is God is here. He's here. And it's for us to respond to the one who is finding us in the unexpected. God often shows up in the unexpected, wanting us to recognize and receive him. So as Advent begins, we have this challenge before us. Will we recognize Jesus as we get into all of the Christmas stuff and the hustle and bustle and all these things? Will we recognize Jesus, whether we're excited about it or we're dreading it? Will we recognize him? Will we receive Jesus? He isn't doing what I thought. He isn't taking away all of these things that I'm having issues with. But he's asking me to receive him in this, in the unexpected. Will we embrace him? And will we believe Jesus? Because he's asking for our hearts and our trust. And his promise is to be born of God, that we will be connected to a forever unbreakable love in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you do things your own way. Sometimes I find it hard or irritating or frustrating. But in general, I'm glad that you do it. That in life, you're working. You're never... You're never not working. You're always working. 
And so that I can trust that in my day-to-day, in my kitchen life experience, in my work, in my outside, wherever I am, that you're there working. That you're trying to get my attention all the time because you want my heart. And so, Lord, I pray for each person here, each person within the sound of my voice, that we would turn our hearts to you. We would ask you to help us to recognize you that we would help us to receive you and what you're doing, that we would believe, we would trust you. We trust in your work on the cross to save us and your spirit's work in our lives to transform us. That in the ups and the downs, you're there, you're working. So would you come and would you do that in us? Would you help us to see you this morning. We love you. Amen.